What's up, bro? Get it off your chest. I just don't understand about this coronavirus, man. People get too comfortable with it. You know what I'm saying? It's like, hmm. you know, they sending us back out there, and it's not over with. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know about like, I don't know what's going on either, bro. And it's like, I just don't understand, man, because um, people trying to, they ain't trying to be safe, but it's like they getting too comfortable with it. I just don't know, man, what to say about it. It's just on my chest, and I, just, I feel like they just setting us back up. You know, I don't know. I'm going to tell bro. you what's crazy, though. If, if you, um, you know, you remember Sylvia Brown? Sylvia Brown, she wrote that uh, that book where she predicted coronavirus in 2020. Mm-hmm. And she said yeah. she said that um, in around 2020, a severe pneumonia-like illness will spread throughout the globe, attacking the lungs and the bronchial tubes and resisting all known tre- treatments. Almost more baffling than the illness itself will be the fact that it will suddenly vanish <laughs> as quickly as it arrived. Attack again ten years later and then disappear completely. She wrote that in a book back in two thousand eight. That's scary. Yeah, that's All right, scary, man. Is, no, yep. I appreciate it. I just want to. I just want to get it out of my chest. All right, brother. Yep. Hello, who's this? Yes, sir. This is Kawan from Atlanta, Georgia. What's up, brother? Get it off your chest. Yeah, I'm getting it off my chest, man. I have a problem with the line of like black men or black people in general have to do better. I'm not feeling that line. Okay. And, and talk the reason. Talk to me, King. All right, cool, cool. The reason being is when uh, Ed Buck, when we saw those two gay black people in Ed Buck's crib, the LGBTQ didn't have to do better. When the Chinese people were beating up black women inside hair salons, the Chinese didn't have to do better. You know what I'm saying? But we don't talk about the black man in uh, Chicago that came up and wrecked shop. was like, yo, y'all not you know, messing with the sisters here. You know what I mean? Once their windows out, was like, yo, y'all not messing with the sisters. But yet, nobody talks about that. They talk about one single incident that a black person does, then all of a sudden every black person has to be guilty of that one thing. And I'm not feeling that. It's almost like like the like the Avengers movie when you when you uh when they killed that spaceship or destroyed the spaceship and everybody died, all the aliens died on the Avengers if you seen the movie. We're not connected like that. That one individual hit that sister, he needs to be dealt with. I think that happened in New York. Hit his sister mm-hmm. with the skateboard, that's on him. He's the cow. That's you know right. what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You're saying all black people aren't monolithic and they need to stop using uh, one or two black people to paint a narrative of a whole. I think people also didn't like the, the whoever was filming that, laughing at it. Laughing Nobody at went it. to go help the girl. I think that was more of the issue also. It wasn't like he was uh, caught on surveillance. It were people laughing and joking, so. But, you, but what about all the brothers that want to kick his What about all the brothers that think he's dead wrong and want to whip his ass? Which I think is the majority of people. Mm-hmm. That's cool, but what about, but, but again, back to the, uh, the tiny shop when all the people were beating up on black women. It wasn't just one person doing it, it was a group. You know what I'm saying? But they don't have to do better. Everybody recognized those individuals are doing wrong.
We're not blaming on, even if you want to go to uh, the situation with the Africans in China, the way they're, treat, they're treating Africans in China, we're not blaming all the time people for that. They don't have to do better. You know what I'm saying? I get what you're That's saying. I get what you're saying. Yeah. Well, thank you for calling, brother. Hello, who's this? Hi, this is Steve. How y'all doing this morning? What's up, Steve? Get it off your chest, brother. Hey, well, first of all, I would just like to say I'm really surprised that I'm on. I'd like to say y'all good morning to y'all. And um, I really love y'all show. I've been listening to y'all for about five five years or so, and I think y'all do a great job. But um, what I would like to say is that um, I've heard every black leader um, speak about what's going on, and I haven't heard um, Louis Farrakhan. Has has anybody heard him say anything? He says he has a word from from God for America. You know he doesn't have the access of of social media anymore because he was banned from uh, Instagram. So you don't see the the yeah, normal post that he usually took, would do. Yep, they took him off oh, Instagram and that. took him off Twitter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they took, they been wow. they been banned him off Instagram and banned him off Twitter. Well, I will be looking for that, and I thank you for that. And I think you guys are doing a great job. Thank you, and I love y'all, and y'all have a, a great day. All right, you too, All right, bro. King. Get it off your chest. 800-585-1051. If you need to vent, hit us up now. It's the Breakfast Club. Good morning. The Breakfast Club. I'm dialing. I'm dialing. Hey, what you doing, man? I'm dialing. I'm calling call you. This is your time to get it off your chest, whether you're mad or blessed. 800-585-1051. We want to hear from you on The <coughs> Breakfast Club. Hello, who's this? Hey, this is Bo. Hey, get it off your chest. Hey, Bo. Hey, Charlemagne. Oh, my gosh, Charlemagne. I am a freaking huge fan. Um, a supporter. I to say how... Um, uh, blessed I am because oh yeah hey um Charlemagne I um ordered your books um I accidentally ordered like two or three of them online I mean the um audio ones can I get a hard copy yeah which one you want black privilege or shook one both of them <laughs> both of them all right leave your leave your leave your um leave your address with our producer Dan okay all right so I will I'll, call I'll mail them to you today okay oh my god okay um, I was calling in to say um, that I was, I'm so blessed right now because I was in an abusive relationship for like um, over 10 years and um, I ended up getting shot and beat in my sleep by my ex. Oh, wow. And, um, Sorry to hear Yeah, so, yeah and, I, and I've been suffering from like uh, severe anxiety and panic attacks and everything. And I've been using a, um, a plant from the South Pacific that um, the South Pacific people have been using for over 3,000 years. Um, and it's been really helping me. It's a calming um, herbal supplement. And I also sell it. So, and I'm, and, and I'm trying to start my own business with this. Um, I want to send you some samples, Charlemagne, to help with um, if, you, if you want to try it. Okay, let's trade. You say, like, listen, I love natural stuff like that. So you send, you send yeah, me the plants, I'll send natural, you the books. All organic. <laughs> Well, our producer will give you the uh, email, uh, address when you hang when you get off the phone. Okay, and um, you can follow me on Instagram. So I have a page. It's um, I sell kava actually. My dad has a kava farm in Tonga. It's um, in the South Pacific, and um, the Instagram is Gefu Kava. It's K E S U K A V A. Okay. Um, that's my Instagram. You guys follow me. I follow you guys. <laughs> And um, also, I have a website, gefugava.com, where you can order and buy kava from there. All right. Well, I'm going to be honest you, with you. I don't know. I, I, I think I could be wrong, but I think you sell gava. Uh, yeah. Hello, who's this? Hey, what's up? It's Blake. 
Hey, what's up, man? Get it off your chest, bro. Uh, man, first off, I want to just tell y'all I'm a fan. I appreciate everything y'all do. But um, I was calling just to uh, shout my daughters out. This time of quarantine, we've been uh, uh started them a lip gloss line. So I just wanted to shout out their lip gloss line. Their name's uh, Blair, Harmony, and Lyric. Okay. What's the name of the lip gloss line? Uh, Their lip gloss line is called Musical Bliss. Musical Bliss. Oh, uh, yeah. Their okay. uh, Instagram is uh, Musical Bliss 313. Are they artists? No, they, uh, they're they two. One of them is two. The other is nine. The one is seven. So I just started okay. something for them uh, to do while we've been stuck in the house. Oh, that's nice. All right, brother. Have a good one. Hello, who's this? Nicole. Hey, Nicole. Get it off your chest. Good morning, Nicole. Hey, hey, Charlemagne. Hey, Envy. Hey, Yee. All right, so I'm hey. because I'm a college graduate, and I'm also a veteran, and I'm upset because I can't secure a home loan because I got outstanding student loan balances, and they don't want to wow. give me the money for the house that I want. And um, I work, I still work for the government, and I serve time in the military, and they still don't want to give me the money. Mm. You know, yeah, I hate that. I hate that. I feel like and I feel like veterans should. I'm also like y'all, the first college graduate in my family, and this is what you know. What I'm saying I did the right thing. I got the degree, and mm-hmm. I started military, and I'm still continuing education, and I still can't get the loan that I need. What's What's your credit? What's your credit? So How's you your credit? Veterans? My credit score is a 785, and I worked hard to get it there, and that still don't even matter. Okay, I got I hate you. that. I hate I hate I hate how they treat our veterans. Our veterans should get uh, you know, free room and board. Our veterans shouldn't have to pay any taxes. You know yeah. what I mean? And y'all should get a stipend. And, and y'all should get a stipend every month. Is this your, is this your first time buying a home? Is this your first home? Yeah. First oh time yeah. Now nah, we we got you. Now nah. how many? Well, here I'm gonna put you on hold. My guy Matt does mortgages. All right. He's been able to make miracles happen, especially if you're a first time home buyer and you're a veteran. There's so many different programs right now where they'll give you down payments for your home and they'll also give you closing costs. So there's a bunch of different programs. You you, you hold on. And I'll give you his number. Matt, the mortgage guy, is his name, all right? All right, thank you. All right. Get it off your chest. 800-585-1051. If you need to vent, hit us up now. It's The Breakfast Club. Good morning. The Breakfast Club. The Breakfast Club. Good morning, everybody. It's DJ Envy, Angela Yee, Charlamagne the Guy. We are The Breakfast Club. We're still kicking it with Angela Bassett. Charlamagne, Yee. What excites you nowadays, creatively? Mm. Directing. Very excited about that. So we'll see. Uh, the stage, mm-hmm. you know, every time I come to New York, like last night, I was, you know, yesterday I was in the theater, what, it was Wednesday, so I got to check out two shows, you know. They were saying those tickets are right now because of coronavirus. $50? Yes. And empty. Well, they said an empty, right? Well, Scott Rudin's show. Mm-hmm. Okay. Not like every show on Broadway, but his show. So mm-hmm. actually going to see West Side Story tonight. Saw Soldier Story last night. You saw Tina Turner on Broadway? I saw I saw that in on Broadway and in London. And what did I see? I saw uh, Intimate Apparel, which is, you know, now an opera by Lynn Nottage. Mm-hmm. So Blair, David Allen Greer last night. So you're not scared to go there. Do you bring your wife? Do you wipe down the chairs? The do you seats? wear masks? <laughs> the wood seats. Wipe, wipe, wipe How long does it stay on fabric right, on right. seats? Did I? I think I did a little squirt in the hand. That's okay. it, and just kept my hands to myself, right. my arms to myself. Are there? Any, I wasn't scared. I love theater too much. Are there any the movies night. that you've done in the past that you would like to recreate today? As we see people recreating or doing part twos and sequels? well, I hear that. Um, they're bringing, actually, um, what, Waiting to Excel to Broadway. Listen, mm-hmm. that's amazing. Yeah. Because between the soundtrack and the storyline mm-hmm. and the plot, 
I could probably recite that movie word for word. Take your, get your, <laughs> get your, and get out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So that's come. It'll be it'll be nice to see that. How yeah. was it like to shed that character afterward? Like, cause that has to make you feel like you know how you bring a piece of your character home with you mm-hmm. afterward. What was it like to? I didn't live with that one too much. I live I I, I lived more with Tina. I think because oh, you. Yeah. I mean, I mean, trying to learn the, the the songs and is she inhaling or exhaling? So you you just really had to and the laugh and the way she spoke. Uh, you know, trying to get bits of that. So that one seem a couple months after like <laughs> you know laughing like her talking like her kind of strange but yeah. not not as much for for exhale because mm-hmm. maybe because it wasn't based on real life so it's a character i came up with or whatever right but uh it was it was cathartic it was nice you never burned nobody's clothes or anything right no i didn't although some <laughs> folks did do that and went yeah we promptly to jail you're right to jail. the window or two before <laughs> never never <laughs> when you watch what's love got to do with it on broadway does that is that triggering at all you know, you think you're gonna see something brand new. You're sitting in the theater, and it was like, "Oh, that's familiar. That's familiar." So it was, it was a, it was an odd experience mm-hmm. because I, I, I think I literally thought I was gonna see a different story mm-hmm. than, Same than thing. her life. But her life is her life, mm-hmm. and we covered in the in movies. So it was interesting deja vu. Right. Inter- very interesting. You did a great job about? as Tina in On Broadway too. I was like, how is she running up and down the Adrian steps in those Warren. heels? Yeah, I was she like, was great. please be careful. Yeah, I saw her backstage in in London. It was like didn't expect the reaction. We were both like, just crying, right. just just like, <gasps> you know. Because when you play that role, right? Like you talk about the mannerisms of Tina, but you had to embody that trauma of abuse as well. Mm-hmm. So that mm-hmm. how, how, that has to be hard to get up. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, it was, especially like the, uh, you know, the scene, the uh, the rape scene, you know, mm-hmm. by the, by the um, aquarium and stuff, and or him fighting and dragging you down the hall. Mm-hmm. But it was good to have um, a, a colleague, to, to have that with someone you trust. I'm speaking of Lawrence, you know, to, to, to go through that because, you know, he, he really's got you, mm-hmm. you know, got you emotionally um, and, and just actor to actor mm-hmm. uh, because the hours were long it was extremely physical you actually hurt for 30 straight days yeah. you know like you know if you're not dancing you're lifting weight so elactic acid build up for 30 straight days something everything hurt but you had to you know go on well thank you so much for joining us thank you for having Queen me Bassett. again that's right Angela Bassett <laughs> it's the Breakfast Club good morning it's topic time. Call 800-585-1051 to join into the discussion with The Breakfast Club. Talk about it. Morning, everybody. It's DJ NV Angela Yee, Charlamagne the Guy. We are The Breakfast Club. Now, this jerk I work with. Is trying to tell people out there that Santa is not real. Well, listen, here's the thing. Uh, PS321 in Brooklyn, they fired a substitute teacher because he told the students in the class that Santa Claus and the Tooth Fairy is not real. Like, this is when, you know, lies go too far. Like, you're going to fire the man for telling the truth? I like no. I don't yes. have a I don't have a problem with you know you wanting to teach your kids this lie. You know what I mean? But don't fire the man because he told him the truth. What's the point? Well, and I'm what are the benefits of telling your kids about Santa Claus? I'm sure there's some parents out there that their kids believe in Santa, and he just ruined their world. What grade was this again? Uh, sixth grade, I believe. Yeah, he, I'm sure he just ruined their world. Now, do my kids believe in Santa? Yes, they do. Absolutely, positively. Well, what's the benefits? I love, I love that kids look forward to something. They look forward to getting gifts, being good, 
making cookies, baking cookies as a family, uh, decorating the tree, and all the things that come with Santa and Christmas. And also, for a lot of parents out there, this is a good way to make your kid act right. You know, around, I say October, December, they start acting up. Oh, you want gifts from Santa? You better, you know how Santa always sees who's naughty and nice? Kids act straight immediately. I love it. I okay. think it's fun. Okay, check this out. Lil Chad and Lil Tyrone in class. Okay. Uh, Chad parents got more money than Lil Tyrone. Tyrone and Chad both write out their, their Christmas list to this Santa guy. Correct. All right? Chad gets everything he wants. Lil Tyrone don't get nothing but some socks. How do you explain to Lil Tyrone that Santa bought Lil Chad everything he wanted but didn't bring you what you wanted, Tyrone? Well, is Tyrone good all year long? See what I'm saying? I'm that just dumb asking a question. I'm just asking a question. Exactly, that dumbness. That I'm dumbness. just asking a question. That dumbness. I'm just asking a question. That's the stupid. Like, how do you, but seriously, how do you explain that? How do you explain that Santa bought you what you wanted but didn't bring this other little kid what he wanted? Well, you know, Tyrone, Santa's helping a lot of kids that don't have this year. And since you're a good kid and you understand, he's helping those kids that might not understand, little Tyrone. Ty little Tyrone, I'm one of those kids that ain't got nothing ever, <laughs> okay? I, what if little Tyrone wrote on his list, Santa, I want you to get my daddy a job for Christmas. Huh? <laughs> hey, Santa, I want you to help my mama through her chemo for Christmas. Oh, Santa grants all wishes, though. This all just you always get. He's just the the big fat Aladdin. He can do whatever he wants. Well, for those situations, little Tyrone, you gotta ask God. See what I'm saying? Oh, who God? Well, listen, ain't none of these coming through. Not God, not Santa. And now what, little Tyrone do? Wait, he wait, angry wait. as hell. He mad as hell. Well. I don't know what Y'all got to stop this. Stop, I don't know stop what this. But my stop kids this, believe in Santa, and I love their face. I love the experience. Uh, Christmas Eve every year, we ring the doorbell. My kids run to the door. There's gifts outside. They think that Santa dropped off some gifts and coming back. Are you going to make Caesar dress up in a Santa Claus outfit? Hey, shut up, year? man. I'm not messing with you. <laughs> Let's go to the phone line. Hello, who's this? This is Grant. Hey, what's up, man? We're talking about the benefits of parents talking about Santa. I, when my kids were very young, I allowed them to believe that Santa Claus was real. Yes, I, I went along with the story. And I and the true story is I believed that Santa Claus was real when I was young. Me too. But as Why? my kids got older, I let them discover on their own that myth or that, you know, there, there was a purpose to that, which is, you know, to challenge reality, but not for me to destroy their dreams by there you go. Their, 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 their thing. Yep. I agree with you. Thank you, bro. Hello, who's this? This is Reggie. Hey, we're talking about Santa, bro. Yeah, I know that. But then you're sitting up there saying, don't teach your kids about Santa and Tooth Fairy. But do you teach your kids there's no God? No, I don't teach my kids there's no God. Yeah, I mean, you're wrong. You should. Why would I teach my kids there's no God? No, I'm confused. There's much man. more proof that God, there's much more proof that a God exists as opposed to Santa Claus. <laughs> Where's the, where's the proof of God? Uh, this planet that, that we're on in the middle of the sky that's wow. rotating. <laughs> these trees that are growing up out of the ground. These birds that are flying in the sky. Hey, this thing you got called a body. Okay? No, no, no. Okay, who made it then? No. Santa. Man. Made, the universe is made by itself. Okay? No okay. doubt. By asteroids and everything. But then do your history, bro. No doubt. So I, no the uni the universe is made God. by itself, but there's not a baby on this planet. God. There's not a baby on this planet that's made by itself. See? It's still got you still gotta take your penis and put it inside the woman and procreate. Something created those children, something right. created this world. But I but all that, but I believe in Santa. And Santa does exist, and so does the Tooth Fairy. Good morning, Megan. Good morning. What are the benefits of parents uh, of telling kids about Santa? Um, the appreciation that comes from the kid when they realize that their parents were really Santa all those years. 
And do, do your kids believe in um, Santa? I have one that does and one that doesn't. Okay. How does that work? A house divided cannot stand. How does that work? Well, I have a 10-year-old and a 5-year-old. And once my 10-year-old found out he wasn't real, I just made sure that she didn't tell her little sister so her little sister could. How did the 10-year-old find out? It was that one year he didn't get what he wanted, huh? Um, kids in school, no, I'm, su- I'm sure. There was other kids, yep. yeah. And I, didn't, I wasn't going to lie to her, but, you know, all those years she never asked me, so I never told her. Okay. How can how can parents say they would never lie to their kids, but you've been lying to them about Santa their whole believe. life? Yo, my son found the elf on the shelf this weekend and oh. picked it up and was so mad because if you touch the elf on the shelf, it loses his magical powers. And he was so upset and crying, and my daughter had to Google, and if you put cinnamon around the elf on the shelf, he gets his magical powers back. Yeah, I didn't know that. But Santa, why are you looking at me like that? I think that the daddy, instead of cinnamon, is putting a little white powder called cocaine on the table somewhere, <laughs> and he's sniffing it because you sound crazy right now. All right, well, okay, for, forget you. Diane. Yes, how are you? How are you? We're talking about Santa. Okay, yes, you know what? Thank you very much for what you did because when I went through my divorce and I had my sons, I straight up told them there is no Santa Claus. In fact, you better pray to Jesus that you get what you want because I am the real Santa Claus. That's right. I had to to prep my baby boy, though, because about that time he was in kindergarten. But I sat him down, told him what was going on. You can make your list, but I want you to pray to God because I am the real Santa Claus. But I told him, I said, now what you can't do is go to school and tell your little kindergarten friends there's no Santa Claus because you might upset some children in the classroom and I don't want the teacher calling me. But in the meantime and in between time, no, I'm the real Santa. I told my mother, I said, as a single parent, I said, this is very stressful, and I'm telling my kids the truth. Of course, she thought it was horrible. Um, so Santa is a financial thing for you. If you have Santa if you have is money, a financial thing for you, everybody. You Santa. It's a believing thing. These man, kids gotta shut believe. Up, man. They it's, gotta believe. All right, all right, well, listen, all you poor kids out there, I want y'all to believe that y'all gonna get that Xbox this Christmas. And when you don't get it, I want y'all to still believe by sitting in front of a TV, if you got one, playing imaginary Xbox, imaginary Call of Duty. A bunch of little kids like this. Pew, 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 Pointing at the TV with their fingers. I'm Stop I'm it, man. It's cruel to teach kids about Santa Claus. If you can't afford to be Santa, and you got this kid expecting all this stuff on this list, knowing you can't afford it, but you still telling them about Santa, you are setting your kids up for failure and you're doing them a grave disservice. That'd be good. I believe in Santa. I'm doing okay. How do you tell a little poor kid that they didn't get what they want on their list, but this little boy sitting right next to them in class got everything he wanted just because his parents doing a little bit better in life? How? How? That's not fair. Life's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> You know, well, you know, I bet you it's a black Santa and it's a white Santa. If the white Santa bring you everything you want, the black Santa always let you down. Don't the black Santa look like your daddy? Look at the bed. All right, we got more coming up next. We're the Breakfast Club. The Breakfast Club. Morning, everybody. It's DJ Envy, Angela Yee, Charlemagne the Guy. We are the Breakfast Club. We got a special guest in the building. Yes, indeed. T.D. Jakes. Bishop the Drip Jakes. Oh. I'm, I'm going to tell you something, Bishop. There's nobody I would rather talk to this morning other than you. Thank you. Like, 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 like hearts are heavy. You know why. Yeah. The tragic ac- accident uh, that happened to Mr. Kobe Bryant, his daughter, and all the other folks on the plane. 
helicopter. How do you make the helicopter? How do you make sense of that? Like, how could that have been God's plan? You don't make sense of it. You endure it. You survive it. You grieve. You go through the process. I think where we get in trouble is when we try to explain and understand things that are unexplainable. Right now, we got to survive it because our whole nation has taken a blow. The family in particular, sports mm-hmm. fans, other athletes are are grieving right now. And I think that to try to explain something like you know more than you know, we don't know. They're still investigating what happened, whether it's human error or whether it was the weather or the climate. All of those play a factor in it. We look for somebody to blame. How could mm-hmm. God allow that to happen or mm-hmm. this or that or the other? But right now... Tragic things happen in life every day, but this is a person that we knew and loved and a part of our community. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to grieve. It's okay to go through those range of emotions, anger, and being upset and what have you. But at the end of the day, we're in a survival mode right now. Now, what what do you tell somebody who's on the fence with religion and and believing, and they see something like this, and they say, wow, you know, he had a a 13-year-old that died, and there was other tweens on that plane that died. What do you tell that person for faith and how they can continue to believe? I think it is your faith that gets you through those unexplainable moments. And I think you have to realize as terrible and as tragic as it was, we're grateful his wife wasn't on board. Mm -hmm. We're grateful the whole family wasn't on board. I look for things that are positive in the midst of the pain, not denying the pain, Mm -hmm. but I look for things that are positive. As for trying to get somebody to believe who doesn't believe, you you really can't do that because because God can't be explained, he must be revealed. Mm-hmm. And you have to have an open heart to allow that to happen in your life. Yeah, and if you believe God does everything for a reason, you can't only believe that when the positive things happen, right? Absolutely, because many times the, the positive things come out of the most horrific things in our lives. I mean, you look at your own life, sometimes the worst tragedies brought you into an awareness or sensibility over years that if this hadn't happened, that hadn't happened, time will judge the validity of the situation right now we have to endure and you still have to lift up the family members of uh, who have lost somebody right now and the daughters and his wife and all the family members of the other people who are on the helicopter too and they lost somebody completely different from Mm -hmm. who we know when you when you're famous people know you from what you do but your family knows you from who you are and Mm. it's a much deeper loss it's a it's a greater kind of pain and it's very difficult to get through I listened to a sermon you gave on uh, September 22nd, titled Keep It Moving. Mm-hmm. And, and it almost seems like keeping it moving after after death seems insensitive. So how, how do you keep it moving? You, you, have to, you have to keep it moving because life keeps moving, because bills keep moving, because illnesses keep moving, threats keep moving, problems don't stop because you're in pain. And so sometimes the therapy is in keeping it moving. But of course, when you're the family, you have to shut down for a minute and, mm-hmm. and breathe and recalibrate. And it may be over the next two years or 20 years that you feel that pain. My mother died in 99. And if I think about it hard now, I'll get emotional. Wow. I mean, because, and I don't even want that to go away. I don't even want that to go away because sometimes the sadness validates the value of what you lost. Explain that a little more. The sadness. The uh, sadness, the greater the sadness, it's an indication that the greater the love. Mm-hmm. Some people don't feel sadness because they don't feel love. Mm-hmm. If you're a great lover, you have great pain when people leave your life. And to the degree that we miss them, we feel that pain. And that pain in many ways is a tribute to the significance of that individual in your life. Are there times that you question your own faith? And is that a common thing for people to do to just question 
I used to answer that question and say no, and then I went through something and said, and I have to say yes. I have gone through those moments where I was uh, in grief and, and wondered, you know, why did you allow this to happen? I was a little bit angry with God. I healed. I got over it. I was okay. But I have had those moments of challenge. We have to remember that faith does not mean the absence of doubt. Faith and doubt cohabitate in the same space. And to be completely honest about it, faith is something we believe. But what we like to do is know. Mm. And you cannot know. You have to believe. That's the whole premise of being a believer is to believe that which you cannot see. And you have to do that in the presence of voices of doubt who are telling you it's not worth it. It's it's just like going to work. Sometimes you, you, you don't want to go, but there's another voice that says you've got to go, and you, you're conflicted, and yet you keep it moving. And I think a lot of times people are trying to get out of the conflict. But the conflict is a part of life, and we're all conflicted from time to time, and yet we find a way to keep it moving. That's right. There was a time you said you thought about leaving the ministry. Yes, I've absolutely been there. I went through, uh, when I first got in, especially national, international ministry, all the things that come along with that are hard to manage. Like what? Uh, notoriety, interviews, bloggers. Nasty uh, reports. Nasty reports. Mine was the Washington Post article, mm-hmm. and, and I wasn't used to that. And mm-hmm. I, I come from West Virginia. I'm a country boy. And I thought, I don't, I didn't sign up for this. I don't need that. But the reality is this one woman came into a book signing and changed my life. Uh, she'd just gotten out of the hospital. She'd had a, a tubal pregnancy, and the baby was dead, and mm-hmm. she was living with a dead body body inside of her. Mm-hmm. So it almost killed her. She she was very weak. She got, got out of the hospital against the doctor's request mm-hmm. and came to me as if she knew what I was thinking and said, it's for us that you do it. It's not for them. And when you go through moments of challenge and pain, uh, you have to find purpose. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you forget why you do what you do mm-hmm. and why you must endure what you you endure. And she she moved me like in a major way. If it wasn't for that woman coming that day and, and talking to me, I don't know that I would have been in ministry now. Wow. Well, 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 do the righteous always have to suffer? Bishop. Everybody suffers. Mm-hmm. Everybody suffers. The The emblem of Christianity is a cross. That's a big warning mm. that if God spared not his son, he's not going to spare you. Everybody mm. goes through suffering. No matter how rich you are, no matter how poor you are, no matter how famous you are, no matter whether you're homeless or living in a mansion, we were all born and we are all going to die. Yeah, death does not discriminate at all. It does not discriminate. W- would you want to know? Because I was, we were was talking about that this morning. I was saying that yesterday it's the unexpected. Yesterday morning. It was the unexpected. It's the unexpectedness of death, I think, that that shakes no. us up. Would you would you want to know? No, I wouldn't want to know. <laughs> no, I wouldn't want to know. Uh, some people feel differently about it, but I wouldn't want to know. I want it to surprise me. I don't want to uh, live waiting on a date to leave. I want to live every day to the fullest, not with a cloud hanging over my head about a date that could be 20 years off or 30 years off, and then to adjust my life to dying. I'd rather build my life around living and let death find me whenever it does. All right, we got more with Bishop T.D. Jakes when we come back don't move it's the breakfast club good morning morning everybody it's dj envy angela Yee, charlamagne the god we are the breakfast club we're still kicking it with bishop td jakes what are your feelings towards suicide because you hear so many different things with suicide if you're suicide you'll never make it to heaven if you're suicide 
God will look at you. What are your thoughts on, on suicide? Because so the, many kids are... The first thing that popped into my mind when you said that, it's not whether you go to heaven or not. I think we should work harder to stop suicide. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. think that suicide is epidemic, particularly amongst African-American young people, in a way that's reprehensible. One of the reasons that I started the foundation that we're going to talk about is because of mental health. Mm-hmm. And uh, mental health is a huge issue in our community. And I think you have to understand that a lot of people who take their life they really didn't take their life the sickness did Mm -hmm. so the person who we say committed suicide is as much a victim as if they were a victim of a homicide Mm -hmm. because if you have emotional mental health issues it affects your decisions and your judgment and your your view of life so to judge that who am i i'm not god so where they spend eternity i'm not god but i do think that the person is a victim and i would think that if you're a victim we we just believe that they're in a better place you're one of the first uh you know people of the cloth that actually embraced, you know, therapy and, you know, telling people to go out there and, you know, get help for their mental health. Because a lot of times we tell our people, take it to the church. Just pray about it. Just pray about (laughs) it. And we don't treat it like it's a sickness. We treat it like it's a spiritual issue and it's a health issue. And I think you have to differentiate one from the other. Sure, you're going to pray, but you also do everything you can do to be at the best that you can be. And I do think that prayer is therapeutic, but it is not enough for a lot of people who have serious trauma that they've endured and they need to be able to talk. They need to be able to heal. And sometimes they have chemical imbalances that causes them to be where they are. I got a T-shirt that says, I go to therapy and I pray. Absolutely. <laughs> Do it all. Absolutely. I take blood pressure medicine and pray over it every day. <laughs> pray, pray it works. <laughs> and let it work, Jesus. <laughs> you announced plans to launch your um, own online Jake's Divinity School? Did that, has the school launched yet? Yeah, it has launched. Okay. It has launched. It's up and running. Uh, it's all, Everything that I'm doing now is about training the next yes. generation. It's, it's empowering them to accomplish their dreams, to reach their goals. I'm leveraging my relationships and, and academics, and I'm leveraging my relationships with corporate America to, to create a pipeline because a lot of us, the only pipeline we have to the world we want to be is the one we see on TV. But you'll never watch TV long enough to get there. So we have to stop watching our dreams mm-hmm. and start creating a pathway where we can facilitate our dreams. Are we seeing more and more young people coming to church now? Are we seeing that more, or is it slowing down a little bit? You know, that's a that's a great question. I think it varies from church to church and mm-hmm. from region to region. I see a lot of young people who are really interested in faith. So many of them are coming to church. My demos are swinging younger and younger. 50% of my church is millennials. So I'm seeing a huge interest in young people coming to church. But I also am seeing a deterioration of attendance because a lot of young people... We're online. Yeah, they're online. <laughs> You're online. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and you want to watch when you want to yes. watch it. So we stream 24 hours a day. We stream all week long because young people stay up at night and often sleep late in the morning. Nothing and like what, doing your laundry, watching Bishop T.D. Jakes. See what I'm saying? Or working out in the gym? <laughs> yeah. That's what I do. I mean, I, I ride in the morning. I put one of your sermons on, whether it's from YouTube or whether it's a, mm-hmm. a, the podcast. Mm-hmm. That's how I consume it. But I've been to Potter House as well. Yes, you have. There's nothing like being at Potter House. It's different. It is different being there from watching it on TV. <laughs> you can get a perception on TV. 
But I think when I was here before, I talked about the difference between a picture and an ultrasound. When you actually go in it, you see it from a whole different right. perspective than when you're a voyeur on the outside. It feels like a college basketball game. <laughs> I'm saying, like, it had that kind of energy. Like, it oh, feels like powerful. a college basketball game. Do you feel yeah. any impact from Kanye doing what he's been doing with his Sunday services? I, you know something? I'm thrilled. Anybody who's out there who's doing something positive to help change the world, I'm thrilled about it. I just hope that while he's busy doing that, that somebody's taking care of him. Because the problem with being talented and being gifted and being good intention is sometimes people are so excited about your gift that they take your gift and leave you behind. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's very, very important for him in order to be, remain stable and remain functional that he's not so busy giving to us that nobody's giving to him. But I've seen the music. The music is hot. I've seen his performances. I think it's absolutely wonderful. But I, I want somebody. There's a scripture in the Bible that says no man cared for my soul. I want us to care for his soul as much as we care for his music. Would you host him? Would Potter's House host him? I would definitely consider doing something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, my focus, however, is everybody's hosting him Who's pastoring him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You understand yeah, what I'm absolutely. saying? And sometimes I don't want to be seen as a gig. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be seen as an opportunity. I want to be an ear sometimes right. for people who don't have anybody to talk to. So I don't want to be in the crowd that's reaching after him trying to snatch his gift. I want to be the guy who's sitting over in the corner saying, hey, are you okay? Uh, how, how are you balanced? How are you mm-hmm. emotionally? How are you mentally? Because we are seeing too many of our artists drift away, uh, be killed, commit suicide. Nobody was investing into their mental right. wealth. Right. Yeah, yeah. And you need you need somebody around you who, who doesn't just want you for what you do. Mm-hmm. To say, are you okay? Think of the culture shock it is to go from being in the hood one moment to being a celebrity right. the next moment right. with no training, That's right. no preparation, no therapy, and all of a sudden you be, you step into this world and you can't get out. Once you're famous, you can never be anonymous. So your success can become your prison. Mm-hmm. And so if you're going to realize that and you're going to recognize that, we have to, in our community, have to be slow to join the bandwagon of stoning people who got into trouble. Mm. We have to be more on the side of the ambulance who rushes to the scene of the crime to see what we can do because we are hurting too. We know that you are hurting and we know how to speak the kind of language to get you back up on the yeah, We, we like to reduce people to, to their mistakes a lot of times. Absolutely. Absolutely. While we make our own. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and so we're all trying to figure out life and the moment you figure it out it changes. Uh, you go through stages at different ages, and different ages bring on different challenges. And uh, nobody gets it right at uh, every turn because every turn is a new experience, and you're back to one again, and you're learning again. And you, as soon as you get used to having little kids, they're not little kids. As soon as you get to used to having teenagers, they've left the house. Right. And everything keeps changing on us all the time. So you never get to be a master at your life because the courses keep changing. Ooh, <laughs> that's a bomb. Good morning, everybody. It's DJ Envy, Angela Yee, Charlamagne the God. We are The Breakfast Club. We're still kicking it with Bishop T.D. Jakes. When young people come to church, what are they looking for? You know, when my grandmother went to church, she wanted hope. Mm-hmm. She wanted to make sure that her family was okay and she had an opportunity. So what are people coming to church for now? Because it's different now. My kids are online. They look for certain things. They have more questions 
and require more answers. So what are what are people looking for now when they come to church? You know, I think it varies from person to person. I think hope has a, a factor degree in it. Like we're bleeding right now. We're talking about Kobe right now. It reminds us of how the brevity of life. It reminds us that we don't take time for ourselves. It reminds us that there is uh, a life after this life. And so people start to think about faith differently. But I also think that people come to the black church differently than they do for other people who come to church. They look for our leaders to be involved in the community in mm-hmm. some way. They look for our uh, levels of quantifiable results. How does this help me right now in the here and now, not the sweet by and by? Inspiration. Inspiration. And there's one other thing I want to bring up that causes people to come to church. If you come to church consistently, church becomes a family. And for many of us, that's something we didn't have. Mm, that's right. I learned sometimes it's not so much about pastoring uh, our young men. It's about fathering them. I, I got a few more questions. How, how long can you go without sipping water? Because even when I watch your sermons, I don't ever <laughs> like, how, how long can you talk without sipping water? I have water? never been asked that question, yeah. incidentally. I don't know. I can go a pretty good while. I don't think to go for the water. Yeah. I, when I get to speaking or teaching, the only thing I'm thinking about is what I'm doing. We had this discussion the other day about when you go in the confessional, right, if uh, they have a responsibility when, say, someone commits a crime and they go and confess that. Now, if someone comes to you and, they does some, and they've done something illegal and they tell you that, is that something that you feel a responsibility to report to the authorities or is that something that becomes this was a <laughs> confidential conversation? Well, you, you have the same kind of uh, privilege that an attorney does when somebody comes and discloses something to you, and that's important because nobody's going to come talk to you about something if they feel like they're going to get reported. There are some exceptions to that, mm-hmm. however. When it comes to child abuse, yes. you are legally required that if you know it, you absolutely have to report it. There are other issues that are kind of on the borderline where you have to use your best judgment, but it has to be serious for you to violate the confidentiality. Like murder. Like if I said I'm a, if I came to you and said I'm gonna shoot Charlemagne tomorrow. That's serious. And the very God fact that, like that the, the, the very <laughs> God wouldn't like that. The very fact that the very fact that it's a, that it is an I'm going to. I have an obligation right, to, to, prevent that. to prevent that from But happening. if it was already done... Yeah, then that's... Then an, and how long ago was it done? And what can be accomplished by exposing that is a judgment call. Have you ever had to do that? I've done everything. Wow. And sometimes I have claimed my privilege as a clergyman not to testify in a trial. And, and that privilege is only held up in court if it is just you and me in the room. If one other person is in the room or if somebody else was on the phone, it violates. I then lose that privilege and that ability not to speak about the issue. Wow. I heard you on uh, Oprah Super Soul Conversations, uh, the, your latest one, to Transform Your Life. Mm-hmm. And you spoke about how to use transformational thinking and moving beyond your limiting beliefs. What does that look like to you? You know, everything is, is about a change of mind. If I change your your economic status, but I don't change your mentality, your status will fall back down to your mindset. Every change, weight loss, health changes, whatever it is, starts in the way you think. And until you begin to deal with the story you tell yourself and are willing to challenge your own truth, you can't really help a person to move forward when they hold to their old story. Well, what about when you're not ready for that transformation? Because I was thinking this morning, how can transformational thinking help you in matters of grief? Because when you look at a situation like 
you know, the Bryant family. Her whole life has been transformed, so she has to change the way she thinks moving forward, but it's, it, it, she didn't ask for that. No, you didn't ask for it. Nobody wants that sort of thing to happen, and it takes time. You don't change your mind overnight right. about anything, whether it's a tragedy or whether it's a decision to go back to school. There's a feeling of misplacement anytime there's a change, right. a big change in your life. And give yourself time to adapt to that change and accept that change and then figure out who am I now without Kobe in my life? Who mm -hmm. am I now without this job? You can have a new year all you want to, but until you have a new you, having a new year doesn't matter. Mm. I wanted to tell you, too, I finally got the worthy, man. Really? It, it, it hit me over the holidays. Like, I, I honestly just felt worthy of of, of existing. Mm -hmm. It yeah. just really did. Yeah, I remember that conversation we had. Getting to worthy is difficult when you have been abused or traumatized or belittled, degraded, or have some issues in your past where you, and if you don't get to worthy, you self-sabotage. Mm -hmm. You can self-sabotage opportunities because you, you say you want them, but then you sabotage them because you really don't feel worthy yes. of them. The hardest thing in the world is to love somebody who doesn't love themselves. Mm. Because they they will reject your love, they'll cancel it out every time because they don't feel worthy of being loved. I don't believe that you could love me because I don't love me. So how could you love me? And that happens more times than not in relationships, in life, and in business. And when I challenge you to get to worthy, it is getting to the place that you accept the good things that God has done in your life and settle in as them being your reality rather than living the trauma of where you came from. Absolutely. Well, we appreciate you for joining uh, us this morning. Yeah, and he's got the International Leadership Summit in Charlotte, uh, April 30th to May 2nd. Yeah, and I'm going to invite you right on the air I'm to pulling come up. Down. I was really? Man, I'm pulling up. I already had, Man, I, I already, I already had planned to go. You'll make me cry on your show. I'm, I'm serious. Pulling up. If you would come, that would mean everything to me because when I'm, this is the most amazing event I'm bringing together. I've got Denzel Washington coming. I've got Tyler Perry coming. I've got Dave Stewart coming. Dave Stewart is one of 13 black billionaires in the world, mm. and he's also a believer, and he's going to be coming. We're going to be having Christian speakers, uh, pastors that are going to be speaking. We've got women who are CEOs and executives that are going to be mentoring young women at the leadership conference. It's going to be uh, in Charlotte, April 28th through the 31st, and it's just a, a conglomerate of a lot of different things because I don't want to just be inspirational and not transformational mm -hmm. because if i keep inspiring you and it doesn't happen then you get tired of hearing that it's gonna mm -hmm. be all right so i want to put the elements in the room that causes the it the it's gonna be all right to happen in your life mm. People who pull themselves up, people who fought back, people who won. When you know better, you do better. And that's why I'm having the leadership conference. What day is the mental health panel? I'm putting myself on it. Come, come it? right on. Okay. I got I to see what day. Because, you know, you know, so many people heard you and I talk about when you did your book and mm -hmm. the power of your book and the power of your story. It helped a lot of other people to begin to, begin to be able to talk. Your opening your mouth to speak about your life and about your childhood became a model for many other black men who don't talk enough. So I take you very seriously in that spot. I admire you very greatly for what you're doing and having the boldness to speak about that. And I look forward to doing a lot of things with you that I think is very important. My brother, respect is right. mutual.
It's Bishop T.D. Jakes. Thank you for joining us again. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's The Breakfast Club. Good morning. Just don't be a donkey, because right now you want some real donkey. It's time for Donkey of the Day. So if you ever feel I need to be a donkey, man, <laughs> hit me with the heat. Did she get donkey in the day? Please tell me. Absolutely. I have become donkey of the day. Breakfast Club, bitches. You're a donkey. Donkey of the day. Goes the mega church pastor and televangelist Paula White King. Never in the history of life has a last name been more appropriate for a human. See, the mayonnaise is heavy on this pale skin sandwich. Okay, I mean, Paula White King is a human jar of helmets in the flesh. I'm talking the thickest of cold sauces. I mean, you can't get more of a mix of oil, egg yolk, and an acid, either vinegar or lemon juice. Why, Charlemagne? Why? Do you refer to some white people as mayonnaise-flavored mammals? Talk to me. Well, it's just simply because too much mayonnaise ruins every dish. You need just enough for tuna, just enough for potato salad. Even if you want to put it on a sandwich, just put a little bit. One little light layer, okay? Keep it simple. Too much mayonnaise in anything ruins the dish. And so is the same with whiteness. Listen, white people. My name is Charlemagne the God, Lenar McKelvey. I'm going to tell you things that nobody else will tell you, okay? I am your people. Everyone knows when you add too much whiteness to something, it ruins it. Okay, that's why everybody wants diversity, because if you allow too many white people to come together and make decisions for the whole of us, there will be a lot of people left with a bad taste in their mouth, a.k.a. too much goddamn mayonnaise. Too much goddamn mayonnaise! So it's not lost on me. That Paula's name is Paula White Cain. Cain, the firstborn son of Adam and Eve, who killed his brother Abel because he was jealous that God liked Abel's offering more than his own. Paula White Cain, your name just spells out trouble. White Cain, like cocaine. What do we call white cocaine? That white girl. Do we have to play a game of guess what race it is to tell you what Paula White Cain is? Or have you figured it out already? Okay, now let's proceed. Paula White Cain delivered a prayer service, which was screamed on Facebook Live. And what was her prayer about? It was an effort to secure one-term impeached president, the celebrity-in-chief, Donald J. Trump's re-election. You can't make this kind of stuff up. God is the best Noah and planner and apparently comedy scriptwriter. Would you like to hear Paula White Kane calling on the African ancestors to deliver Donald Trump a second term in the White House? Let's go. Angels are being dispatched right now. Amanda, Ata, Ata, Rata, Teda, Baka, Sanda, Ata, Ambo, Osa, Tata, Rite, Eke, Banda, Ata, Rike, Didi, Asha, Ta. The angels have even been dispatched from Africa right now. Africa right now. Africa right now. From Africa right now. They're coming here in the name of Jesus from South America. They're coming here. Angelic reinforcement. Angelic reinforcement. Angelic reinforcement. Mm. I feel the need to remind y'all right now that Satan has a kingdom, too. I also feel the need to remind y'all that I don't like to waste God's time. I pray for the basics of good physical and mental health, divine protection of myself and those I love, and constant discernment. That's all I want, okay? Everything else I can handle, and even when things aren't going my way, I look for the lesson in what God is attempting to show me, okay? Not Paula White King. She thinks she can go caring on God. Okay, she thinks going caring on God is going to get Trump in the White House. God is not the police, Paula. He's, they, God don't have to listen to you. Now, this, now listen, wait a minute, one second. Is there more to the prayer? No, wait, is, is, is there more to the actual prayer? Not the prayer with the sauce on it. Is there just more to the actual prayer? Oh, is that it? Mm -hmm.
Yep, there's no one. There's no strike and strike and strike and strike until you have victory. For every enemy that is aligned against you, let there be that we would strike the ground, for you will give us victory, God. I hear a sound of abundance of rain. I hear a sound of victory. I hear a sound of shouting and singing. I hear a sound of victory. The Lord says it is done. Now, I'm telling you right now, God, Jesus, the Holy Ghost, and Beyonce, all sent that prayer to their spam folders, okay? There is a virus attached to that prayer, and the virus is called Mayo 19. No math can prevent the transmission of it, and it's literally killed millions. There's only one way to keep Mayo 19 from infecting us all, and that's by adding that sauce. See, it's a sauce that black people have that makes everything better. Listen to what happens when we add some sauce to Paula White's tongue. Just listen. Dropping a clues bomb for that black people's sauce. Okay, see, it's a sauce that black people have that makes the canes of the world envy those of us who are able. Do you hear me? I said the canes of the world are jealous and envy those of us who are able to do the things they are not. So much so, they would rather kill their black brothers and sisters by praying to re-elect someone who is a direct threat to our very lives. Now, Paula Kane White understands the sauce. Okay, don't think she doesn't, because Miss Billy Graham Cracker called on the ancestors from Africa to help Trump. She called on the spirits of, from Africa and South America to help. But what she doesn't understand is the spirits have already intervened. See, there is a message, and, and there's signs all around us, okay? Senator Kamala Harris and Joe Biden, that's how I word it, because I voted for Senator Harris, not Joe Biden. But Senator Kamala Harris and Joe Biden, it looks like they're going to flip Georgia. You know why? Because there's a spirit who was buried in Atlanta, who called Atlanta home, who is already causing good trouble up in heaven. And he has reminded us of the power of the vote, even from the grave. Listen to your ancestor. Mine, dear friends, your vote is precious, almost sacred. It is the most powerful nonviolent tool we have to create a more perfect union. Mm. Not too long ago, people stood in unmovable lines. Mm. They had to pass a so-called literacy test, pay a poll tax. On one occasion, a man was asked to count the number of bubbles in a bar of soap. On another occasion, one was asked to count the jelly beans on a jar, all to keep them from casting their ballot. Today, it is unbelievable that there are Republican officials are trying to stop some people from voting. Listen, listen. Drop on the clues bombs with uh, John Lewis. You made your ancestors proud. Everybody who went out there and voted in massive numbers. And listen, it doesn't stop there. See, Senator Kamala Harris and Joe Biden, looks like they're going to flip Arizona to the adopted home of an American patriot, a man who you said, who you said is not a war hero. You said he's not a war hero because he was captured. You said, I like people who weren't captured. Well, that man has a message to you and all your followers. If you don't think this is God talking to you right now, Paula Kane White and President Donald Trump, then you don't know God. Listen! The American people did their civic duty and chose a new president. I congratulate the president-elect. And I will do all in my power to help him lead us through the many challenges confronting our nation. And I know there are many Americans who were disappointed on election night. The better America is one in which we never forget that whatever our differences, we're all Americans. And we must respect our common citizenship by treating each other with respect. 
That's why I've been so disturbed by reports of increased acts of intimidation, harassment, mm. and even violence directed at minority racial and religious groups in the aftermath of this election. Sound like he's speaking from the grave. Look here, Miss Bishop T.D. Snowflake, and I want you to remember this. When God decides to bless you, God will cause situations to come together in your favor no matter what others try to do. God and voters have already blessed this year's election. Things have clearly come together in favor of the Harris-Biden ticket, and there's nothing Miss Jimmy Swagless can do about it. Please let Chelsea Handler give Paula Kane White the biggest hee-haw. Hee-haw! Hee-haw! That is way too much Dan mayonnaise. Uh, Paula White Kane. Paula Kane White, Paula White Kane, something. That's all I say. All right. Mm -hmm. All right, well, thank you for that donkey today. Yes, ma'am. Keep it locked. We have more coming up next. It's The Breakfast Club. The Breakfast Club. We're here because you're looking for the best of the best of the best. The Breakfast Club is back with another memorable interview. Morning, everybody. It's DJ NV, Angela Yee, Charlemagne the Guy. We are The Breakfast Club. We have a special guest in the building. Yes. She went to the other HU. <laughs> I know you. The, Hampton. She went to the other HU, <laughs> the fake HU, but we let it slide this morning. Uh, Kamala Harris. Yes, US, U.S. Senator of California, That's and right. I feel the next president of the United States of America if Throw she chooses air. to run. Miss Kamala, Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris. Good Welcome morning. to the show. Good, Good morning. morning. I am so happy and honored to be here. Now you Join gonna just, you. You gonna just let him diss Howard like that? Absolutely not. So oh. who beat UNLV? Hampton <laughs> or Howard? It was Howard. Thank you. <laughs> who has the best homecoming in the world every year? Hampton. Howard. Hampton. Who produced Thurgood Marshall? Howard. Howard. Right. <laughs> Howard. Yeah, you, you got a couple of all right. Who, who produced there. the Black Panther? We we did the you know we, we did the costumes you know the, the, you know we did the costumes uh -huh. for, for I'll Black Panther. I'll share the love though. with you. I'm gonna share the love. With you. Uh, <laughs> See, I didn't go to college, but if I was you, I would have said, "Well, who was stealing from the financial aid department?" <laughs> oh yeah, you're right. Well, who was stealing from the financial aid department? So she came back with, "Well, y'all got bad food over there." So go back and forth. Let's just let things slide. Well, welcome. Yes, Thank welcome, you. Senator Good to Harris. Be here. Now, for those who may not know, let us know a little uh, about yourself. You're from the Bay Area, right? I'm, I was born in Oakland. Okay. Um, and I went to Howard. Mm -hmm. I, I went out of uh, Howard to law school in California. I started my career in the DA's office in Oakland, California. Mm -hmm. And um, then I was elected the first black woman to be elected a district attorney in the state of California, wow. San Francisco. I was there for two terms. And then I was elected attorney general of California, making me the first woman and the first African-American ever elected as an attorney general. And what about she Jamaican, too? Yeah, man. Wagwan, brethren. Did you grow up in the era of the Black Panthers? Yes. Did, uh -huh. they, did they have any influence on you? Or? Oh, absolutely. I mean, my parents, look, my sister and I joke, we grew up surrounded by a bunch of adults who spent full time marching and shouting. Wow. For justice, right? So they, my parents actually met when they were active in the civil rights movement. My godmother, my Aunt Mary, was one of the founders of the Black Studies Department at San Francisco State, which was the first Black Studies Department in the country. Mm -hmm. So they were active and they were vocal. And um, Jamaican and, it, and civil rights activists. I'm surprised you got an inside voice. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> I, I, Howard trains you to do things okay. like that. But <laughs> well, what got you into politics? Because you did go to Howard. That's a party school, yeah. so we figured you would. Y'all just joking. Y'all not gonna be petty all interview all right, now. I'm not. I'm not. Stop. But really, what got you into politics? What made you want to say this is the route I want to go? You know, I grew up in a community of folks, like I said, who are marching and shouting. And I said, you know, we yes, there is an important role to be, play 
on the outside, banging down the door, on bended knee trying to change the systems. But we also have to be inside the room where the decisions are being made. Mm -hmm. And I ran for district attorney because I wanted to be the one who was making decisions about what we were going to do with criminal justice policy. And, in fact, I wrote a book back in 2008 based on my belief about what we need to do to reform the criminal justice system. And, mm -hmm. and here's how I think about it. Criminal justice policy, we have been offered a false choice. The choice suggesting that you're either soft on crime or you're tough on crime mm -hmm. instead of asking are we smart on crime, mm. right? Mm -hmm. And by that, I mean recognizing that, you know, the public health model tells us if you want to deal with a health epidemic, smartest, most effective, and cheapest way to deal with it is prevention first. Mm. If you're dealing with it in the emergency room or the prison system, it's too late and it's too expensive. So let's be smart on crime. And that means let's be smart in knowing that if we really want to have public safety, let's prevent crime from happening in the first place, which means focusing on communities that we know need more economic support, need more pathways to economic health and success, doing what we need to do to recognize that there's a direct connection between public education and public safety. So let's prioritize public education and, and instead of just being only concerned about public safety because there's a real connection and it's actually cheaper to focus on educating young people than it is on incarcerating mm -hmm. whole communities of people. Yeah, that's that's one of the first things I saw you do that I was extremely impressed with. It was the uh, the Back on Track program. Yeah, that's right. What, what, what's that all about? So Back on Track is a program that I started years ago. I focused on the 18 through 24-year-old young, you know, drug sales offender. Mm -hmm. And the reason I focused on that population is because there are just a lot of them. And I also focused on that population because whether we were at Hampton or Howard, mm -hmm. when we were in college, we were 18 through 24, and we were called college kids right mm. but when you turn 18 and you're in the system you're considered an adult right period mm -hmm. regardless of the fact that we know if that's the very phase of life in which we have invested billions of dollars in this world in these places called colleges and universities knowing that that's the prime phase of life where you can mold somebody to be a productive and an and 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 accomplished adult and so I focused on that population also understanding that when they pick up that first offense, they will be designated a felon for life. Mm. And so what we did is essentially I created a program focused on them and basically getting them job counseling. A lot of the young men are fathers, getting them support for what they naturally want to do, which is parent their children, but may not have the skills or the resources. We focused on what to do around housing and, and just wraparound. And we ended up as a result of doing that. And then when they would graduate the program, dismiss their charges. But what we also ended up doing is reducing their likelihood of reoffending mm. by a huge percentage. And that was a model of what ended up later by the Justice Department being designated as a model of, of innovation in law enforcement in the country. Well, what do we do with, with so many, with drugs being legalized, I should say marijuana being legalized in so yeah. many different states? And a lot of these kids, like you said, are in jail for that same legalized crime now. We need to decriminalize marijuana. Mm-hmm. We have a problem with mass incarceration in our country. And let's be clear, the war on drugs was a failed mm -hmm. war. It, it was misdirected. In essence, and you know, we're now, now more people are understanding it when we talk about the opioid epidemic, mm -hmm. that when you're talking about substance abuse, that's a public health matter. Mm -hmm. That should not be thought of as a criminal justice matter. And, and so what we need to do is recognize that we have to get people into treatment where that is appropriate. But as it relates to incarcerating people for marijuana, I think it, 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 it is 
long overdue that we recognize we need to change the system. Absolutely. All right. I, I want to go back to your Oakland days for a minute because you said uh-huh. the Black Panthers had an influence on you. Mm-hmm. And it's this whole conversation we've been having about how do we improve relations between police and the communities. And yeah. Black Panthers were an organization that actually policed the police. Do you think that an, an organization like that could exist now in 2018? I think that one of the greatest advances in the fight for civil rights has been the smartphone. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. People would come up to me, Kamala, what all of a sudden is going on with all these cases of, of police misconduct? What's going on? Mm-hmm. And I'd look at people and I'd say, you know, you sound like a colonist. You know, colonist. <laughs> Are you calling him a colonizer? No, or a colonist? No, a colonist. <laughs> right, 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 right. Fair enough. <laughs> but the point being, you know, what colonists do, they go to a place that's been existing that way for thousands of years, and because they're seeing it for the first time, they think they've discovered Absolutely. it. Right? Mm-hmm. So the great thing about the smartphone has been that now it is undeniable when it happens. There is evidence sometimes playing for us in real time, as we know. It is audio, it is visual, and it is highlighting a need to reform the criminal justice system about around recognizing that we need to do a better job of training police officers around mm-hmm. bias, around use of force, mm-hmm. around the necessity to de-escalate a situation instead of using force as the first option, um, as though it is the only option. And more people are now involved in this discussion than ever before because it is not just us who is experiencing it. Now everyone is experiencing it, at least as in terms of seeing it happen. And I think this is the this is part of what has, has led to the reforms that are starting to take place, but there's still a lot more to do. On the Panthers, remember, one of the biggest uh, contributions that the Panthers made was their breakfast program. Absolutely. They were feeding the community mm-hmm. um, and protecting the community mm-hmm. in that way. All right, we have more with Senator Kamala Harris. When we come back, don't move. It's the Breakfast Club. Good morning. Morning, everybody. It's DJ NV Angela Yee, Charlamagne Tha God. We are the Breakfast Club. We have Kamala Harris in the building. Now, let's talk about these schools and these shootings. I mean, it's scary. Well, first of all, you know, we have many, many communities where our six- and seven-year-olds are going to sleep at night hearing gunfire. Absolutely. They are experiencing such trauma that is undiagnosed and untreated. Mm -hmm. Babies of our community who have regularly attended funerals of somebody who was killed as a result of gun violence, having family members. It may have even happened in front of them. Mm -hmm. So we have enough trauma in our community that we need to deal with without expecting that our second grader is going to now go to school and look up in the front of the class at their teacher and she's strapping a gun. Or, mm-hmm. That doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. When we're talking about school safety, there are things that we need to address that include thinking about why is this an issue. And part of it is that we have not passed meaningful, smart gun safety laws in this country. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about how the NRA has grabbed people by the, their the balls, from parts balls, of their the body. Balls, yeah, the <laughs> the, the testicles. The testicles. There's a medical way to say it. It's a medical term. Testicles. 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 Medical term, right? <laughs> and 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 has 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 caused people to have a lack of courage to address the fact. Again, another false choice. I'm in favor of the Second Amendment, and Me I too. also want. 
I want smart gun safety laws. Absolutely. Assault weapons shouldn't be walking the streets of a civilized country. I agree. We should have universal background checks. It makes sense. It's just practical that you might want to know before someone can buy a gun that they've been found by a court to be mentally unstable. Mm. You just might want to know that. That's smart. Absolutely. The missing ingredient to get something done is for Congress to have the courage to act. Bottom line. And that's where I would say, okay, so then what can we as people who want to encourage Congress to act do? What can we do? Let's focus on the 2018 elections. Mm. Let's focus on electing people who will have the courage Mm -hmm. and getting rid of people who don't. Well, you know, even with that said, you know, uh, when when we everybody saw the police shootings happening, Barack Obama was in office. Mm-hmm. Why didn't he have the courage to act to implement something to where police yeah. weren't so gun ho? Well, I think that he, it's one of his big regrets that he was not able to get um, smart gun safety laws passed. In terms of the reforms, listen, Eric Holder, who was appointed by Barack Obama to be the U.S. Attorney General. Mm-hmm. And, he, and and the United States Department of Justice under Barack Obama did some really good work. They started opening pattern and practice investigations, investigating various police departments around the country who had a pattern and practice of racial discrimination and excessive force. And you know what's going on now? Under this guy? Jeff Sessions. You've been on his ass, by the way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And under him, they're closing those pattern and practice investigations. Under the previous administration, there were consent decrees Mm -hmm. where there had been a finding of misconduct. The court kicked in and said, you have to act a certain way, and we're going to watch that. They're shutting down all of those. Mm -hmm. They're reviving the war on drugs. They're reviving mandatory minimum sentences. Mm -hmm. And, you know, again, that's why we have got to be vigilant at this moment in time because we are looking at, at an administration that is rolling back the clock in a profound profound way. Why is Jeff Sessions doing that, though? Like, is, is, it, is it really just uh, Donald Trump trying to erase everything Barack Obama did, or is that what they really, really want? Like, they want to take take us backwards, so to speak. Listen, I think this has been on Jeff Sessions' agenda for a very long time. Don't forget, Coretta Scott King spoke out against Jeff Sessions mm-hmm. when he was up years and years and years ago mm-hmm. for an appointment. This is part of who he is. This is his history. This is his mission. He is silently and maybe not so silently carrying it out right before us. Why aren't you afraid to uh, to speak out against him? <laughs> I do speak no, out. No, no, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm worried there on time. Why aren't you afraid? afraid? Because we have to speak truth. Got you, Charlemagne. We have to speak truth. You Absolutely. know what? This is a moment in time that's actually requiring all of us to check ourselves about whether we're going to have the courage mm-hmm. to to speak and to speak truth, no matter how uncomfortable it makes some people feel, no matter how much it may visit upon us, criticism or expose us to attacks, um, we've got to speak truth. We've got to speak truth about what is happening with this administration. Also, because as leaders, the people know, they know, they know in their hearts, they know intuitively, instinctively that things are wrong. And we need to put the label on it when we see what it's actually happening from the inside. And so that's part of why I do it. Because I believe that people have a right to know mm-hmm. what their government is doing for them and to them. And, you know, come what may in terms of any response. How do we get our country back in order, though? It just seems like ever since Trump came in office, it just seems like it's just been an outspread of racism going on. And it, it yeah. seems like it's hurting our kids more than anything else out there. 
So I travel around the country, um, and I will tell you that I'm not buying the suggestion that we are divided as a country. Mm -hmm. And here's why I say that. You know, when you wake up in the middle of the night with that thought that's been weighing on you, maybe, you know, some people call it the witching hour, 3 o'clock in the morning, when you Mm -hmm. wake up in a cold sweat with that thing that's been worrying you, it is never through the lens of the party with which you're registered to vote or, you know, the demographic a pollster put you in. And for the vast majority of us, that thought has to do with one of just a very few things, our personal health, the health of our children or our parents. Can I get a job, keep a job, pay the bills by the end of the month? For so many of our students, can I pay off their student, can they pay off their student loans? Mm-hmm. The vast majority of us have so much more in common than what separates us. And we've got to hold on to that in this fight right now. And then look to 2018, frankly, and the elections that are coming up in almost 200 days mm-hmm. as an opportunity to act. What I love about this moment with this administration in power mm-hmm. is people are acting. Look back to the Women's March. Yes. Look at to the March for Our Lives. Absolutely. The March for Science. Because yes. also this administration is putting forward policies that basically say science should not be the va- basis of public policy, which is ridiculous. Um, but people are taken to the streets mm-hmm. in a way they never have. And in that way, our democracy is working. Now we just got to take to the streets and then walk those streets to the polling place and vote. Because they used to say we couldn't vote. Legally, we weren't allowed to vote. Mm -hmm. Now they say we won't. We need to get out and vote. Because voting, us voting is connected to every one of the other issues. Us voting is connected to who's going to be in office and how they think about criminal justice policy. Who's going to be office and pay attention to something like the the, the rate of black babies and infant mortality? Mm. Who's going to pay attention to the fact that young black men are, are, are still at the bottom of the economic ladder in terms of opportunity, much less success in economic health? Who's in office is going to make a difference? All right, we have more with Senator Kamala Harris. When we come back, don't move. It's The Breakfast Club. Good morning. The Breakfast Club. What a shoot. And I know how to fight, I tell you one. Morning, everybody. It's DJ Envy, Angela Yee, Charlemagne the Guy. We are The Breakfast Club. We have Senator Kamala Harris still in the building. Charlemagne? And I know, you, of course, you just mentioned Me Too and Time's Up. You're a big supporter today. Yeah. But you're also a Too Short fan. Yes, I am Too Short from <laughs> Oakland. Yes, I am. How, how does that work? Let me tell you. What's, fact, my, favorite what's my favorite word, <laughs> Senator Harris? Huh? Huh? What's my favorite word, Senator Harris? I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. Too Short, straight from Oakland. <laughs> but you can, you can, you can, you can like both, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Of course, I love music. Now they call you the the, the female Barack Obama. That's what I've seen when I Google I don't like your name. That, by the way. Now, now, are you are you considering and do or do you see yourself possibly running for president? Is that in your right now? I'm just focused on what's in front of me. You know, I've seen too many people focus on that thing out there, and they trip over the thing right in front of them. True. So, what's in front of you? 2018. 2018. Okay. I'm, I was just in Detroit last weekend, campaigning and talking to folks about the need to get out and vote. Um, I'll be all over this, all over many states. I'm going to be in Chicago. I'm going to be in Wisconsin. I'll be in Florida. Probably go to Philly. We really have to turn out. Look what happened in Alabama. Everybody should really see and remember what happened just in a recent election Mm -hmm. where Doug Jones, a white Democrat, the math is that 
a white Democrat won in the South because of black women. So our vote really matters when we get out. It was over 90% of black men, too. We, we came out just Yeah, and that's okay. right. And that's right. <laughs> that's true. That's exactly right. Now that's you, exactly right. You was on the debate team in college. I was. How did, I was. How did that help you in your line of work? First of all, it taught you how to, um, to come back from an argument. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it teaches you how to stand in front of a, a room of people and express your point. And then, and then when the, your point is being attacked, to come back and respond. Um, it teaches you how to think quickly, and it gives you confidence in the fact that you can stand in front of a, a room of people and state a position and defend it. Um, because sometimes, for so many of us, we're the only one who is like us in a room. Mm-hmm. And when you're the only one like you in a room, there is a natural tendency to want to just kind of blend in. But what you learn during debate or what you learn at an HBCU or if you have the blessing of having a family or a a community that teaches you, um, you you learn instead that when you're in that room, you got to speak up, and you've got to acquire the skills to know how to do that and to have the confidence to do it. You know, I mentor a lot of people, and I always tell them, your entire life, you will have many experiences where you're the only one like you in that room, only one looks like you, only one who's had the experiences you've had, and when you sit in that room, you have to remember. We are all in that room with you. Yeah, what's the Maya Angelou quote? Uh, I'm not alone because I I stand with 10. I'm got 10,000 with me. Yeah, yeah. It's funny because I put my kids in debate class because of that, to be able to use their words to fight back and not have to use their hands and still hurt just the same. And you got to objectively see both sides, right? And Mm -hmm. and, and also, and to your point, also, the, the great thing about learning debate is that you learn there are rules of debate. Right. You know, because also to your point, when you argue, some people would suggest that's pure emotion and that if you're getting in an argument with somebody, you're just emotional and unreasonable. Mm -hmm. What debate teaches you is, no, it's actually quite civilized to stand up and disagree with someone. And there are rules about how you do it Mm -hmm. because that is what is done among thinking people. You do debate. I mean, you can go back to history in different forms of debate. The dozens. Yes, That absolutely. was debate. 100%. That was debate. Yes, until you didn't like what they said and you just right. fought. Right, and you just keep <laughs> fighting. <laughs> you started fighting. Right, yeah. but, but that's, that was debate. Gotcha. A question, you know, you, you mentioned, of course, we went to HBCUs. How important is the HBCU? Because we got away from it a couple of years ago. Yeah. And, I, and I'm looking at a lot of the colleges and attendance and enrollment is low. So how important yeah. is HBCU to you and, and especially black families? Let me tell you, I am who I am today mm-hmm. for two reasons. Because of my mother and the family I was raised in and Howard University and HBCU. What you and I know, mm-hmm. when we walked onto that campus for the first time, we were surrounded by people that look like us. Mm-hmm. All, everywhere, everybody. Um, you walk onto, and I'll just speak about Howard, but I know Hampton is the same. Mm-hmm. You walk onto that campus, you can look over one area and you will see a bunch of young African Americans who are students who are in the business school walking around with briefcases. Mm-hmm. You look over at another area, and they're walking around in leotards because they're in the, the, the fi- School of Fine Arts. The, the football captain and star and the homecoming queen and the debate team, and there are sororities and fraternities. And what you learn at an HBCU is you do not have to fit into somebody's limited perspective on what it means to be young, gifted, and black. Mm. You can be all those things. When I was at Howard, I pledged a sorority. I was on the debate team. I was the chair of the Economic Society. Mm -hmm. 
and I went to my share of parties too. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you didn't have to choose. You could be fully actualized. And there was such beauty to that because this country still has such a limited view of what it means for a person to be young and smart and black. And so at those years when you're learning your identity, to be in that environment where basically everybody just says to you, you can be whatever you want to be. And by the way, and if you don't, it's because you need to work harder, (laughs) Mm -hmm. right? Because that's the other thing that happens. You can't walk away and say, oh, it's because of my skin color that I didn't get that. Nope, nope, that's not it. So it's a wonderful, um, it's a wonderful place to learn who you are and to be proud of who you are and to leave them with the confidence of walking into the world. Also knowing one other thing. You know, people from time to time will come up to you and they'll say, oh, you're special. You're unique. And I tell people, don't let, don't let anybody tell you that because there is, there is something about being told that that also suggests you're the only one like you. Mm which means you're alone. And what an HBCU reminds us of, no, we come with people. Mm. We got people. There are a lot of us. We're not alone, Mm. right? What made you want to go to HBCU? Was it a different world? (laughs) (laughs) No, I had family members that went to Howard. I wanted to go to Howard, yeah. Got you. Well, she has to to go, so one last one, brother. (laughs) I saw you talking about uh, corporate donations. Yeah. And you said it depends whether you would take them or not. I think that money has had such an outside influence on politics. Mm. And especially with the Supreme Court determining Citizens United, which basically means that big corporations can spend unlimited amounts of money influencing a campaign, right? We're all supposed to have an equal vote. But money has now really tipped the balance between an individual having equal power in an election to a corporation. So I've actually made a decision since I had that conversation that I'm not going to accept corporate pack checks. Wow. Um, I just, I'm not. So how are you going to raise money for campaigns and stuff? Well, you know, I've, I've raised so far this year $3 million for my colleagues mm-hmm. for the 2018 election cycle. And most of that money has been like an $18, $20 increments. People are turning out. Well, well what's the can, website? Yeah, well, give yeah, me how the can website. Go to KamalaHarris.org and you will find it. And listen, K-A-M-A-L-A, Harris, H-A-R-R-I-S. If you decide to run for president in 2020, we'll do a fundraiser for you right here on the radio. No, we definitely will. We did one last year for uh, Harry Belafonte's organization, Change oh, for Change. Good. We raised good. like 800, 800, 800 grand. grand. Wow. So we, we, we can get you a million or two. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, if you decide, to, if you you decide, decide to run. Has that ever been a dream of yours? Have you ever thought about it? I had so many dreams. I have so many dreams. Good answer. I do, though. I really do. <laughs> I do see the beauty of you know, everything that you raised in terms mm-hmm. of the the reaction and the other side of, of the tragedy of what's happening. And that gives me a great sense of, of optimism about our future. And in the history of our people, we march, Absolutely. we shout, we sing, we dance, right? Mm-hmm. Look at who just got the Pulitzer Prize. Mr. Kendrick Lamar. All right. You had him on your playlist, too. You yes, had Humble yes, on Yes, of course. <laughs> uh-huh. But look at that. Look at Beyonce and what she did at Coachella. Mm-hmm. Right? It has always been as part of our history that our artists, everybody is part of the movement. Everyone understands that it's about the expression of feeling. And, and we can do that with joy and with, with conviction and with purpose. 
great. I think God is setting us up for a woman of color president in 2020. I'm with it. I think that it's Senator Kamala Harris. I think she's our future president. I'm with it. And uh, I hope she, I hope God puts his hands on her and mm. says, you know what? I want you to do this. All right. That's I, what hope I hope so as well. God's plan. Put that on your playlist too, Badri. All, All right. right. <laughs> well, we thank you for joining us. Thank you, guys. It's an honor to be with you. Thank uh, you for coming. All right. It's the Breakfast Club. Good morning. Morning, everybody. It's DJ Envy, Angela Yee, Charlamagne the God. We are the Breakfast Club. It's time for your positive note. Give me some positivity. Positive note for this beautiful Christmas day, man, is always to remember that the best of all gifts around any Christmas tree is the presence of a happy family all wrapped up in each other. Breakfast club, bitches! Y'all finished or y'all done?